Hi, Rebels. This Financial Literacy Month, Rebel Girls teamed up with Greenlight, the debit card and money app for families, to bring you everything you need to be smart with your money and build healthy habits that last a lifetime. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to make smart choices with every penny, whether you're saving for something special or learning to invest. Greenlight gives kids the power to be independent, and grown-ups can trust that their kids have money wherever they are. Sign up at greenlight.com slash rebelgirls to get your first month at no cost and start building money confidence for life. Once upon a time on a cotton plantation in Louisiana, a girl named Sarah was born. Sarah came into the world in a one-room cabin at the edge of the plantation's cotton fields. Her family lived in Delta, a tiny town nestled in a sharp curve of the Mississippi River. There's no evidence of Sarah's birth, there's no certificate or census record, but this little girl would grow into a woman who made sure the world knew her name. Sarah Breedlove was the first in her family to be born free. Her parents and her four older siblings were all born into slavery. But just two years before Sarah was born, the Civil War ended and slavery was finally abolished. Now, the Breedlove family was free, but that didn't mean life was easy. They still made their living growing and picking cotton. And they didn't own the land they farmed on, so they had to share their small income with the man who did. They worked long hours in the blistering Louisiana heat, and taking time off was not an option. So when Sarah was a baby, her mother would strap her to her back and take Sarah into the fields with her. And as soon as she was four years old, Sarah went to work alongside her parents in the fields. She crouched down to make holes in a long line and drop cotton seeds in each one, the sun beating down on her tiny back. Just a few years later, she was doing the same work as the grown-ups. Sarah and her friends Celeste bragged that they could chop and pick cotton clean faster than anyone else. Because the sooner they were done, the sooner they could slip away to catch crawfish in the bayou, where long moss swayed in the trees above. On the weekends, the Breedloves would get together with other families for rowdy fish fries and picnic outings. And every Sunday, the girls would sit next to each other on the long wooden pews at church with matching hairstyles. Their hair worked into tight twists and wrapped with string. But when Sarah was seven, everything changed. Her mother died. And soon her father was out of the picture too. Whether he died or just skipped town, we can't say for sure. Suddenly, Sarah was an orphan. And she had to fend for herself. I'm Purna Jagannathan, and this is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, a fairy tale podcast about the extraordinary women who inspire us. This week, Madam C.J. Walker. 
With no parents to care for her, Sarah depended entirely on her siblings. She went to live with her older sister, Lovenia, who was married to a man named Jesse Powell. But Sarah didn't find a loving home with them. Jesse was a cruel man. To him, Sarah was just another mouth to feed, and he expected her to earn her keep. So when Sarah turned 10, she started working as a laundress. She spent her days in the homes of strangers, washing laundry by hand in big wooden tubs. She spent hours elbow deep in hot water, using harsh soaps that left her skin raw and irritated. It was such back-breaking work that people with any money at all simply refused to do it. Sarah, on the other hand, had no choice. If she hadn't been born in a place where racism and cruelty were the norm, she would have been in the fourth grade by now. Learning multiplication tables and state capitals by heart, and maybe discovering the joy of a good book. But there was little time for fun in Sarah's life now. When she got home at night, it was all she could do to get ready for bed. She'd fall asleep as soon as she closed her eyes. By the time Sarah was 14, she was desperate to escape. She wanted a home of her own. She wanted to go to school and travel to Paris and see famous artwork and listen to the music of great orchestras in Carnegie Hall. Sarah promised herself that her dreams would not sink in a wooden washtub. So, she found a way out. She ran away with a man named Moses McWilliams, and though Moses would soon leave her a widow, he left her something else too, a daughter. Sarah gave birth to Lilia when she was just 17. Sarah loved Lilia, and she wanted her to go to school and learn all the things that she'd missed out on. So she decided to move her tiny family, just her and Lilia, to St. Louis, Missouri. There, she could be closer to her three older brothers who were making good money as barbers. Sarah had no trouble finding work as a laundress in St. Louis. And even though she struggled to make more than a buck fifty a day, it was enough to cover rent. Sarah and Lilia's new home was a tiny apartment, just a room, really, in one of the roughest neighborhoods in the city. But it was theirs. Lilia was going to school, and Sarah started taking night classes. They were getting by. But in quiet moments, when she was alone, Sarah worried about the future. She started dating a man named Charles J. Walker, CJ for short. And even though he was a newspaper ad salesman, he was far from being rich. They planned on getting married soon, but Sarah didn't see how this would change much for her. One morning, Sarah sat bent over her washboard with a huge load of laundry in the tub in front of her. She stared down at her arms, buried in soap suds, and she asked herself, what are you going to do when you grow old and your back gets stiff? 
Who's going to take care of your little girl? She couldn't see how she, a poor washerwoman, was going to make a better life for herself or her daughter. But soon, everything would change. Not long after moving to St. Louis, Sarah started to notice something weird. Strands of her hair were everywhere. Her pillow, her dresses, her kitchen table. She was losing hair at an alarming rate. Now, this wasn't an unusual problem at the time, especially for women as poor as Sarah. Most of them didn't have electricity or indoor plumbing, so taking baths was a special occasion. Being stressed and not having enough to eat only made things worse. She loved her thick black hair, and she was desperate for a way to keep it. Fortunately, there was a woman in St. Louis named Annie Turnbow Malone who sold hair products for women with the same problems as Sarah. She tried Annie's products, and they worked. In fact, they worked so well that Sarah took a job as a saleswoman for the company. She learned how to treat women's hair with shampoos, scalp massages, and special brushes. Little did Annie know that Sarah was about to become her biggest rival. Because Sarah had decided it was time to go into business for herself. One night, she knelt at the side of the rickety bed she shared with Lilia, and she prayed. As Sarah tells it, her prayer was answered with a dream. While she slept, she says, a black man came to her and told her exactly which ingredients to mix together to heal scalps and grow hair, even better than Turnbow's products could. I have to tell you about my friend Penelope. She is hilarious. She only eats cheese doodles and canned beans, and she loves to sing and fly through walls. Wait, did I tell you that Penelope is my imaginary friend? Well, she is, but she's totally real to me. Anywho, Penelope and I are very excited because there's a new movie coming out on May 17 all about imaginary friends. It's called IF, which stands for Imaginary Friends. Pretty cool, am I right? If is so much fun with lovable fuzzy giants and bright new galaxies. It stars Kaylee Fleming as B, a girl who discovers that she can see everyone else's ifs. Meanwhile, Cal, played by Ryan Reynolds, can also see ifs. Together, they team up and go on a magical adventure to reconnect forgotten ifs with their kids. If is from the brilliant mind of writer-director John Krasinski. It also stars John Krasinski, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Maya Rudolph, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Emily Blunt, Aquafina, and Steve Carell, just to name a few. It celebrates the incredible power of curiosity and creativity, and it's definitely a laugh-out-loud adventure for the whole family. IF comes out in theaters starting May 17th and is guaranteed to knock your socks off. What? Oh, Penelope says she wears two pairs of socks at all times. Also, that imaginary friends get limitless refills on popcorn. 
So join us in the theater on May 17. Bring your imaginary friends too. Sarah woke up the next day and set out to find all the ingredients she dreamt of. She combined them in her kitchen and rubbed the mixture into her scalp. In a few weeks, she says her hair was coming in faster than it had ever fallen out. Soon, Sarah's friends wanted to try too, and her elixir worked just as well for them. For a moment, Sarah glimpsed a different future, one that didn't involve washboards and soap suds and backaches. And she didn't think twice. Sarah rented out a tiny attic so she had enough space to mix tubs of her own hair-growing formula. And she started advertising in local papers. A reporter for the Kansas City Star later wrote that she spent money on advertising as fast as she earned it, spending more on printer's ink in the beginning than she spent on bread and butter. And it was working because there were many African-American women like Sarah desperate for hair products designed specifically for them. Sarah's ads ran in newspapers for some six months straight. And then, they stopped. Suddenly, there wasn't a single line from Sarah in the local newspapers. She'd gone radio silent. But after a few months, a new ad appeared. This one was for Madam C.J. Walker. Sarah was rebranding. She had finally married C.J. Walker, so she took his name. And her new title, Madam, was a nod to the French beauty industry and the sophistication she wanted to recreate for African-American women in the U.S. Before long, Sarah's hair grower was selling so well that she decided it was time to hit the road and take her products to other cities. Her new husband and friends told her she was jumping in too quickly. They couldn't see how she'd be able to cover her expenses to get from one town to another. Luckily, she didn't listen. She set off with suitcases full of her new product, Madam Walker's wonderful hair grower. She crisscrossed the country by train, making contacts and finding new customers in every city she visited. Madam's demonstrations were convincing, and many of the women she spoke to place orders to get their own bottles of hair grower. Back at home, Lelia received the orders, ran to the post office, and mailed the products to women all over the country. Their customers were more than satisfied. Because Madam wasn't trying to make them look like the beauty icons of the day. White women with straight, wispy hair. She wanted to make their hair look beautiful in the way that only black hair could. Many of Madam C.J. Walker's customers were using hair products made specifically for their hair for the first time in their lives. A woman from Helena, Arkansas, wrote Madam to tell her that she was a godsend to humanity. Another woman from Dallas, Texas, wrote to say... My hair is a talk of the town. I have to take it down to let people see and feel it for themselves. Soon, they were getting so many orders that they could not keep up. Madam's little startup was turning into a real company. She started hiring sales agents in cities across the country. Their numbers were growing every day. 
At the same time, Madame's relationship with her husband was becoming strained. He was unfaithful, and now that the business was booming, they fought about how to handle it. Madame had always been in charge, and she intended to keep it that way. When she bought a brick building in Indiana to be her factory, laboratory, and salon, it had just one name on it. Hers. Before long, they parted ways for good. But Madame decided to keep the name C.J. Walker. Because of her, it had become famous. Just five years after she'd struck out on her own, Madame had customers and sales agents in nearly every state. And Madame had become rich. Even though she loved nice clothes and art and fancy cars, she had bigger plans for her money. She wanted to help people in her community, black people who were struggling to get by like she had. After all, it wasn't long ago that she had washed laundry and picked cotton. And even though slavery was over, a lot of things had stayed exactly the same. Almost every day in the newspapers, there were stories of horrible violence against black men and women. In 1915, 69 African Americans were lynched across the country. Madame wanted to do something about it. Her business advisors and friends told her that politics and business don't mix, that it was risky to get involved in these matters. But again, Madame didn't listen. She donated to the NAACP's anti-lynching fund and even went to Washington, D.C. with a group of other black activists to tell President Wilson that lynchings had to be stopped. She was so outspoken about what was going wrong in the country that the government added her to a list of what they called Negro subversives and kept her under surveillance. But she got involved in smaller causes, too. She donated money to churches, to schools, to community centers. And she wanted her sales agents, now numbering in the thousands, to follow her lead. So she started an annual conference where the women could get together and talk about their work. Madame awarded prizes, not just to the agents with the highest sales, but also to those who had raised the most money for charities. By 1915, Madam's annual sales were over $100,000. That's around $2 million in today's dollars. And even though she had everything she could possibly want, what she really loved was running her company. In October 1917, she was on a business trip to the South when she made a stop in Vicksburg, the city where she'd worked her first job as a laundress at the age of 10 just across the river from Delta, where she was born. Her old church in Vicksburg had invited her back to give a lecture, and she agreed. She stood at the pulpit and looked out at the congregation. It was a full house. Everyone crowded into the same hard pews she had sat on 40 years ago. She told them how she'd worked her way from being a poor laundress to being a powerful entrepreneur and activist. They hung on every word. She was the first woman, black or white, to become a self-made millionaire 
in the history of the country. Hi, I'm Julia from Macedon, New York. Hi, I'm Claire from Hong Kong and the Philippines. Today's episode was hosted by Purna Jagannathan. She's an actress and the award-winning producer of the play Nirbaya. This podcast is produced by Elena Fuvili and Francesca Cavallo with writing and operations support by Alyssa Dudley and Darby Maloney. Sound design and original theme music are by Electra Barzaki. This show is sponsored by the New York Times best-selling book series, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. Did you know Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls 2 just came out? Go to rebelgirls.co and use promo code REBELPODCAST to get your copy with a 15% discount. If you liked this episode, please share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, share it everywhere, and please review it on Apple Podcasts. Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls is a production of Timbuktu. Today's host, Porna Zaganathan, lent her voice to benefit the Joyful Heart Foundation, where Timbuktu has made a donation in her name. Until next time, stay tuned and stay stay rebel. rebel. Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right. You can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening.